How many of you have ever had to ask the same question twice? Raise your hand if you've ever had to ask the same question twice. All right, put your hands down. How many of you have ever been asked the same question twice? Yeah, and all the parents said amen, right? Yeah. We're going to see today a story uh, where Jesus has asked the same question for a second time, and maybe you don't know uh, the context of that, and we're going to talk about that. But turn, turn to Luke 11, if you have your Bibles with you. Luke 11. Today we're going to see Jesus... Uh, Tackle a question on prayer that I'm sure uh, most of us have probably had before. Luke 11, if you don't have your Bible with you, it's page 725, and the blue Bible's on the floor around you, by the way, 725. And so there's a question about prayer that many of us have had at some point in our lives. And if we haven't had it yet, we'll probably wrestle with it at some point in the future. And the question is this, what happens when I pray uh, for something and I ask and I ask and um, God never answers my prayer? What am I supposed to do? What, then what? what? What am I supposed to make of my unanswered prayer? We're in the fourth week of this series called A Praying Life, as Alyssa said. Uh, for those of you reading Paul Miller's book, uh, A Praying Life, I hope you're enjoying it. If you're going through it with a group, uh, I hope you guys are having rich discussion uh, in the evenings or in the mornings or whenever you're meeting around it. I hope you're enjoying his insight, his counsel on the topic of prayer. Uh, because every one of us eventually face this uh, frustration, I think it's fair to call it a frustration, of unanswered prayer. Uh, it's a part of, natural part of the Christian life. And so for some of you, it's been so frustrating that you quit praying. And for many of you, maybe unanswered prayer is a reason why at some point in your life, you gave up on God entirely. And maybe you find yourself here today, and God's not really part of your life. And maybe it has something to do with an unanswered prayer that you prayed months ago or maybe years ago. Well, Paul Miller addresses this question of frustration and unanswered prayer all throughout his book, uh, but there's a pretty powerful story in this section that we'll talk about in a few minutes where his wife, Jill, was pregnant uh, with a child, and all she prayed for was a healthy baby. She prayed that just that I could have a healthy baby girl. I mean, who wouldn't pray a prayer like that? You, you, chances are you've talked to someone who's pregnant, and you've said, hey, do you want a boy or a girl? And they say, all I want is a healthy baby, right? I mean, who wouldn't pray that prayer? But unfortunately... Uh, their daughter, Kim, was born with a number of health problems that have lasted her whole life. And so we're going to look at that story in a minute. You know, the one thing they prayed for was the one thing they didn't get. Can you relate to that? I mean, do you have any prayers that you've prayed just to get the exact opposite? How many of you have prayed prayers that have never been answered? I mean, some of us have been praying prayers for, for potentially years now, and we're still waiting on God to respond. Well, I want to give you some good news this morning. Jesus addressed this very frustration. And the reason I think he talked about unanswered prayer is that he knew that we would experience it, that our Father knew that we would grow frustrated in prayer sometimes. And because uh, we've, if you've ever grown frustrated praying something, guess what? There's nothing wrong with you. You're completely normal. Well, in this sense, anyway. I'm not going to give you license on that and say you're completely normal. But your prayers are completely normal if you've ever been frustrated with unanswered prayer. God knew that we would struggle with these questions. Jesus knew that his disciples would struggle with these questions, and so he addressed it. And as we're going to see today, our Savior Jesus has some encouragement for those of you who are struggling with unanswered prayer, and I think it'll help us understand how to cope with it too. So let's look at Luke, look at Luke 11.1 1 is where we'll start. It says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now we talked about this verse. This is not a repeat. We talked about this verse in week one. So if you were here and you said, this sounds familiar. Yes, it does. And we talked about of all the questions that the disciples could have asked Jesus, of all the things they could have said, hey, teach us, they, taught it, they said, teach us how to what? 
Teach us how to pray, right? Teach us how to pray. You remember that? Uh, They obviously knew that prayer was an important part of Jesus' life, that prayer with Jesus was different than it was with them, that prayer was a vital part of his relationship to his father. And so they asked him, teach us to do what you do. Teach us how to pray. Now notice how Jesus responds. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Uh, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for all, we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, if you've been around church much, you probably recognize that as the Lord's Prayer. But if you're really good with your Bible, you think, uh, I think they left some things out, right? There's some words and phrases left out of there, and uh, this is why I get so frustrated with the Bible, some of you are thinking, because it's so inconsistent. Well, I just want to tell you, I want to give you some encouragement. This is not the same time, all right? This happens in Luke chapter 11. Uh, Jesus didn't mess up. The the authors didn't mess up. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, the first Lord's Prayer that most of you know and can recite, many of you can recite by heart, is in uh, Matthew. And Matthew's recorded prayer was taught as a part of the Sermon on the Mount. This was right after uh, Jesus calls his first disciples to go fish for people. But this one in Luke 11 probably happened six to nine months later. All right, so this is two separate occasions. Now, two pieces of encouragement that I think we can take away from this idea. First of all, the disciples had to ask more than once. Have you thought about that? They had to be reminded how to pray. They were walking with Jesus every day. They were seeing him act. They were seeing him, hearing him teach. And uh, they still had to be reminded how they should pray. This should be encouraging to us. Right? Because if the disciples who were walking with Jesus every day, they were around him all the time, they heard him pray, they saw him teach, they have to ask more than once. I mean, if I forget from time to time, that's kind of encouraging to me that they had to ask, right? So if, if we forget or our prayer life feels stale or it seems like it's not working, we can go back and ask, Lord, teach me how you want me to pray. The second piece of encouragement is this. When asked this question for the second time, Jesus answered in the same way. Isn't that encouraging to you that when our circumstances change, that God doesn't? I mean, this is so encouraging to me. It's a great reminder of that for me this week, that Jesus demonstrates this pattern of prayer that has proven to be effective in his life, and it'll prove to be effective for us over and over again. Now, in verse 5, Jesus launches into a method of storytelling that we know as a parable. Uh, A parable is a word that you probably only really hear in church, uh, but it's really simple. A parable is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's all a parable is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And uh, the point of this parable was to address the, the question of unanswered prayer. And so think about this, okay? When Jesus is talking about prayer, the disciples, all they ask was, teach us how to pray. Uh, when Jesus goes to tell this story, he could have talked about any aspect of prayer. He could have given us a set of words to say. He could have talked to us about uh, going off by ourselves alone. That's something that Jesus often did. But what does he do? In this parable, he chooses to address the frustration of unanswered prayer. What happens when we pray and we don't get what we want? What happens when we pray for so long that all we want to do is give up? That's what he's going to talk about in this parable. So we'll go on to verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, you may think this sounds really mean and harsh, but I just want to remind you, this grumpy guy uh, that's got all the bread, seems to be hoarding all the bread from people, right? 
this grumpy guy, uh, just a couple things you should think about. First of all, this is the ancient world. There's no electricity, right? There's no lights that he can get up and flip the switch. Um, and they, most people at that time lived in a one-room house, and all of their children would have slept in the same room, maybe even in the same area, same bed with them. So if he's going to get up and give him some bread, he's going to have to climb over his children, wake the kids up. You all know how it is when your kids wake up in the middle of the night. They're going to be grumpy in the morning. It's going to be like daylight saving time Sunday, right? And so um, he says, hey, I can't get up right now, but come back in the morning. All right, so that's what's happening here. Uh, second, uh, everybody's in bed, so, and then think about this. It's not like the guy knocking on the door has an emergency. I mean, he's got a guest. He's got a visitor. He's not starving. He's like, I've got this visitor, and I, I don't have any food. It's a hospitality issue. So, I mean, the guy doesn't really need the bread at midnight, right? It's not something, it could, probably something could be taken care of in the morning, all right? But anyway, we don't know what's happening because this isn't a real person because it's a parable, remember? <laughs> okay, so verse 8, he says this. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your, now look at this, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now that little Greek word translated there as, uh, in this version as shameless audacity is the Greek word anidia, anidia. Now anidia, anidia also is translated as persistence or boldness because you were so bold to knock on the door and keep knocking, okay? Because you were so persistent in asking uh, the guy will eventually give up and give him some bread. So here's the thing about parables. And anytime Jesus told one, the disciples would know, oh man, here goes Jesus again. He's talking in stories. And so uh, when he tells a parable, this means that somebody in the parable represents me and somebody in the parable represents God. They just know that. That's kind of the pattern of a parable. And so if I'm the guy knocking on the door trying to get bread, does that mean that God's the grumpy guy inside that's not giving me any bread? Well, that's not the point, all right? Hang with me on this. Uh, we'll get back to that in a moment. But don't miss the big idea that Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's saying that the man responds because of the guest's boldness and persistence, because of his shameless audacity is what he says. All right, now look at the next verses, verse 9. He says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now this whole analogy just emphasizes the importance of boldness and persistence. Jesus says, don't just knock once. You keep knocking. If you know someone is in there, if you trust that someone is in the house, that someone has the bread that you want, you just keep knocking until you get a response. And again, does that mean that God's like the grumpy guy from the parable that doesn't want to open the door? No, not at all. The grumpy man on the other side of the door is not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that you keep praying until you get an answer. Now, it may not always be the answer you want, right? We all know, you've probably heard, sometimes God answers with a yes, sometimes he gives us a not yet, and sometimes he wants us to see that he has something better for us. But I have a great example of how this played out in my life and in my family's life. About seven years ago now, my daughter Grace um, watched the movie Beverly Hills Chihuahua. And uh, she decided, she was convinced that she needed a chihuahua for a pet. Now, we had already had one dog, and our dog is a golden doodle, and that's right on the verge of not being a manly dog anyway. And so I was not going to be seen walking around town with a little chihuahua on a leash. So I'm like, no way, no how, there is no way that we are getting a chihuahua. But she kept asking, and worse than that, she kept praying that she would get a chihuahua. 
And then two years ago, we got Rosie. <laughs> this is my, do- my daughter's dog, not my dog. <laughs> yes, I caved. But I told my girls at the time, here's what I told Gracie, and, and Audrey got a pet at the same time, and I said this, I want you to know this, I'm a dad who likes to say yes. And I want you to remember that, and I want you to remember this moment, because there's going to come a day when I'm going to have to tell you no, and I want you to know that when I say no, it's for your own good or it's for your own safety. And so when I have to tell you no someday, I want you to look back on this moment and remember that I'm a dad who likes to say yes. And we have a God who likes to say yes. Don't forget that Jesus has already established this point, that God is like a tender father. He is loving and compassionate. He loves and delights in his children and especially those who come to him, and especially in a way of saying, I'm desperate for you. God, I need you. I trust you. That's what we are to God. We are his children. He is our tender father. And you and I can have confidence as children of God. We can approach him. We can take our prayers to him. And as Jesus says here, we can be bold and persistent with our prayers until he answers. Now realize this was a revolutionary thought for the disciples. Uh, who were listening to this story. This was counterintuitive to everything that they thought they knew about God uh, that, that, and about prayer up until they met Jesus. Now, with this parable of Jesus, I just wanted to take uh, a couple minutes and make three observations about prayer and specifically about bold prayers and how bold, our bold and persistent prayers uh, interact with unanswered prayer in our life right now. And so if you want to take notes, you can take notes on this. I don't think it's on your note cards today, but uh, you can write these down if you want anyway. First of all, persistent prayers get God's attention. Passages like this one in Luke uh, show us that prayer does get God's attention. There's a blank in there. That blank is attention. There it is. (laughs) Uh, Persistent prayers get God's attention and that it changes situations. This man kept knocking and kept knocking until finally he responded. Now, why not just knock once and get an answer? I don't know. I mean, you guys are parents too. I bet every one of you in this room have at some point told your kids no, and then because of their persistence, you've changed your mind, right? Am Am I wrong on that? I think you're right. I think I'm right. But all I know is this parable shows us that sometimes it's going to take persistence. Sometimes it's going to take bold and persistent prayers, and it was because of this man's persistence, because of his shameless audacity, the verse says, that the man inside finally responded. And I think that's why Jesus added verse 9. He said, ask, seek, knock. Basically, if no one answers, you bang louder. So there's lots, tons of examples in Scripture of prayer changing situations. Uh, sometimes people will say, well, prayer doesn't really change situations, but it changes me, and that's true. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just want to show you in Scripture in Exodus 17, um, Moses is leading the Israelites in the battle. They're fighting the Amalekites, and uh, and Moses raises his hands in prayer, and when Moses' hands are raised, the Israelites are winning, and when Moses puts his hands down, the Israelites start losing, the Amalekites start winning, and Moses realizes, i got to stand here with my hands raised until this battle is over. Moses continues praying, and his prayers affect the outcome of the battle. Uh, In 2 Kings 20, King Hezekiah uh, received word that he was dying, and he pleads to God to save his life, and God gives him 15 more years. Uh, And then in James 5, it reminds us of Elijah, that Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain, and then he prayed again, and it did rain. Prayer changes things. Prayer gets God's attention. I heard someone describe prayer like a laser beam wave, right? So uh, a laser can cut through steel, but it's basically concentrated light, right? And so if you take a flashlight and aim it at a steel post, like the steel post right here, nothing's going to happen, I promise. But if you get enough light waves intensified into a laser beam, it'll cut right through 
the steel, right? If you get enough waves flowing together and flowing in the same direction, it can intensify and create a laser beam. It can cut right through the hardest surface. It's kind of weird, isn't it, the way our prayers work together with God's will. And I don't understand completely how it works, but, but we, I do know this in Philippians 2. Uh, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now very much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God works in us to fulfill his good purpose. So God is sovereign. He has a good purpose. His purpose will not be thwarted. His purpose is going to be carried out. And so if you ask me how that jives with a God who answers prayers and thinks about our prayers and cares about our prayers, I'm going to say, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand completely how that works. But somehow and in some way, he's chosen to enact his will on earth through our prayers, which means that there will be some things that happen on earth, whether we pray about them or not. And then there will be other things that happen on earth only because we pray about them. And then there will be other things that don't happen because we fail to pray about them. Isn't that amazing? That God chooses his children to work out his will and his purposes. And so for you and me, our bold and persistent prayers have the ability to get God's attention. And maybe more than we realize, they prove to him how serious we really are about what we're praying for. You know, and so God's not bothered by this boldness. He's not annoyed uh, he's, uh, by, with our unwillingness to give up. Instead, I think he's drawn to it. He's drawn into this time with his children. He loves it. He cherishes those conversations with us when we continue to pour out our heart, to pour out our desires to him. The fact that we ask and ask and ask, what we're demonstrating is, God, I know that you are the only one who can provide this thing for me. Because when we ask once and it doesn't happen, and then we try to carry out God's will on our own, what we think is God's will, I think I, got, I hear God saying me this, so I'm going to go try to like, do an end run around the end of what God's will is. Uh, that doesn't work. But God is honored when we ask and ask and ask, and we know that he is the only one that can provide what we need. Bold prayers, persistent prayers get God's attention. Second is this, persistent prayers require patience. They require patience. One of the mistakes we can make in prayer is assuming that because we don't hear from God right away, that he's not hearing us, that he doesn't care, or he's not going to answer. But then Jesus made this promise in Luke eleven ten: for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so what are you supposed to make of that? I mean, if you've got unanswered prayer in your life, if you've prayed and prayed faithfully for something and it has never happened, uh, or maybe you've been praying for months or even years for things like healing from an illness, some healing from a, uh, an event that happened in the past, uh, healing from a hurt or a wound that you received from a friend or from a family member, uh, restoration of a relationship or a start of a relationship. You've been praying uh, to meet your person and you haven't met your person yet. Uh, forgiveness. So Paul Miller compares these times of waiting to, to being like living in the desert. And the hardest part about living in the desert is there's usually no fast way out. The desert is a vast place and there's no life, and you don't know when it will end, and there's no relief in sight. So if you're reading this book with us, you know the story I alluded to early on. Miller explains that he and his wife, uh, Jill, found out they were pregnant. She prayed for a safe pregnancy and a healthy baby. This is back in 1981, so 36 years ago. The delivery date finally arrived, and their daughter, Kim, was born blue, and her first APGAR score was very low, and they had no clear diagnosis at first. All they knew that were things were not going well. 
and uh, the reality uh, was that she was going to have disabilities that were going to affect her the rest of her life. And so Paul and his wife were left with this new baby girl that had many challenging disabilities, and they were going to affect uh, their family and the way their family, and that was their desert. And so here's what he has to say about this. This is on page 184 of the book. I'm just going to read this because I can't say it any better. He says, the hardest part of being in the desert is that there's no way out. You don't know when it will end. There's no relief in sight. A desert can be almost anything. It can be a child who has gone astray, a difficult boss, even your old sin or foolishness. Maybe you married your desert. God customizes deserts for each of us. Joseph's desert is being betrayed and forgotten in an Egyptian jail. Moses lives in the Midian desert as an outcast for 40 years. The Israelites live in the desert for 40 years. David runs from Saul in the desert. All of them hold on to the hope of God's word, yet face the reality of their situations. The theme of the desert is so strong in Scripture that Jesus reenacts the desert journey at the beginning of his ministry by fasting for 40 days in a desert while facing Satan's temptation. His desert is living with the hope of the resurrection, yet facing the reality of his father's face turned against him at the cross. The father turning his face against you is the heart of the desert experience. Life has ended. It no longer has any point. You might not want to commit suicide, but death would be a relief. It's very tempting to survive the desert by taking the bread of bitterness offered by Satan to maintain a wry, cynical detachment from life, finding a perverse enjoyment in mocking those who still hope. What do we understand about the desert? Well, we've talked about this before. God takes everyone he loves through a desert. He says it's his cure for our wandering hearts. It's in the desert that we slowly give up the fight. It's where our wills are broken. Uh, The things that brought us life gradually die. Our idols die for lack of food. We stop feeding those things that once were important to us. Uh, The desert creates in us a sense of helplessness, uh, which is really so critical to our prayers. When we understand we are helpless is when our prayers are most effective. Because if we think that in any way we can provide what we need, why would God answer that? Why would God answer a prayer that you think you can already provide? And it's in the desert where you begin to focus on your real thirst. Kind of like David when he writes this in Psalm 63. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. When's the last time you felt yourself that desperate for God? When's the last time you felt like you were in a dry and parched land where there is no water? Paul Miller explains that it's in the desert where he finally gets your attention because he's the only game in town. You cry out to God so long and so often that a channel begins to open up between you and God. And without realizing it, you've learned to pray continuously. The clear, fresh water of God's presence that you discover in the desert becomes a well inside your own heart. And that leads right into the last observation I want to make today, which is uh, that persistent prayers don't mean that we will get what we want, but... Persistent prayers will change us. Persistent prayers change us. When you pray, when we keep praying, when we refuse to give up, you know what happens? God starts to change us from the inside out. Think about it. I I bet some of you a day have been praying for a spouse to come to Christ. 
For some of you, you prayed for a relationship to be healed. And maybe you haven't received what you've asked for, but I bet for some of you, God has changed uh, and opened you up to something else that he wants to do in your life. Sometimes we pray for something and we say, God, I only want that one thing. This is what I want. I've been asking you for this one thing. And if you would just grant me this one thing, man, I will be your child. I will be happy. I will be set for the rest of my life. But sometimes God wants to show us that that one thing isn't the issue, that he's got something over here that's entirely more appropriate for you. But you don't have your eyes on that because you keep thinking about this one thing. And so you're looking over here going, God, God, can I just get your attention? And he's going, hey, can I get your attention? Look over here. He wants to change us. He wants to change our direction. He wants to turn us this way. He wants to turn us from our idolatry. He wants to turn us from our sin. There's something that you would have never known until you do all the really hard work of surrendering, surrendering all you ever thought you wanted to God. All I'm saying is this, your persistent prayers, and when you pray persistent prayers, I promise you that God will do something. And sometimes he'll do the very thing that you ask for, and he'll do it immediately. And sometimes he'll do what you ask for, but he'll make you wait for it. And sometimes he won't do what you ask at all. But every time, he will take that boldness and persistence in your life, and he will use it to change you, and he will change you from the inside out. He'll take that experience and use it to increase your faith and your dependence on him. And can't you see how that makes all the sense in the world? God using our prayers uh, to increase our faith, using them to strengthen the relationship, even our cries, even in our desperation, even when we acknowledge, God, this isn't going the way I expected. In some sweet way, God comes in behind and works in our hearts as we realize, you're the only way. God, you're the only way this is going to happen. And that's why I'm praying, and that's why I'm asking you, God, you are my only hope. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. You know, it occurred to me this week that this analogy of the door is used a couple of times in the New Testament. And the other time that it's used that I can think of is in Revelation 3.20, where we're the ones on the inside And Jesus is standing on the outside of the door knocking. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's amazing and beautiful that God gave this vision of John, of him standing outside and knocking. What an incredible reminder that God is not going to force himself into any place where he's not welcome. Think about this. We have a God who's fully sovereign who created all things, and he can go anywhere he wants in the universe without anybody's permission except right here. For some reason in his sovereignty, he chooses not to come into our hearts without us asking him in and inviting him in. And he promises, I'm knocking at the door. And to anyone who opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. He's gonna extend the invitation and he will stand outside and knock and wait patiently for us to open the door to him. And for some of us in this room, you feel like you've been knocking and knocking, you never received an answer, and maybe it's because you've never let Jesus into your heart. You've never let him be the king of your world. And today, maybe this is a great reminder that that if you've never had a relationship with God, that that's his deepest desire, is to be allowed into your heart. And for some of you in this room, like, You, at one point, you had that relationship and you knew what it was like to pray and you knew what it was like to feel heard. 
but at some point you've shut him out. And Jesus said, you know what? All right, I'm just gonna wait here patiently for you. And he's out there right now. And he's knocking. But he's not gonna force himself in. He's gonna wait. He's gonna wait for you. He's gonna wait on your timing. He's gonna wait for you to open the door to him. You can do that. You can open that door today. Don't make Jesus stand out in the cold anymore. Let him in. Start developing that deep, lasting relationship your heart desires. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I um, just again this week was overwhelmed with the gift of prayer. That of all the things you created, of all the, the space and the earth and the animals and the trees and the plants that you chose us as your special possession, that you chose us as your people and that you desire a relationship with us. God, it's beyond my comprehension why I am special enough, why, why we are special enough that you want to have a desire with us, a one-on-one conversation with us, why you want us to pray to you, you want us to ask, you, you want to hear the desires of our heart. God, it's overwhelming to me what a good father you are. And Lord, I know that right now there are people in this room that are struggling with that idea, that they've, they've prayed for years and they haven't received what they want. Lord, I just sense that for people in this room right now, for some people in this room, you're standing outside the door and you're knocking. You're just waiting patiently for them to open up the door. And if that's you in this room this morning, I just want to pray for you. And so uh, you can be honest. We're going to stay in an attitude of prayer. Our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed. But if you're this morning, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus and you want to start that today, or you've had a relationship with Jesus in the past, but you feel like you've walked away and you want me to pray for you, would you just raise your hand right where you are in your seat? I would love to pray with you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I just, Lord, I just, as I see these people who have had that relationship or, or they haven't, but they, Lord, they desire one. They're, they're saying, I want to open the door to you. Lord, would you make it clear to them this week that, that you are present, that you are standing outside, that you want to come into their hearts. You want to be a part of their life. Lord, they're inviting you in right now. If that's you, if you raised your hand just now, you can just pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you in my life. I want you to lead my life. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own, Lord. Come in and be the Lord of my life. Teach me to walk here in your way. God, for those of us in this room who have that relationship and there's things that we've been praying about, Lord, I lift those prayers up to you right now. They just come like a hurricane. They're coming to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would intercede on behalf of our church right now, that there are some deep uh, prayers that involve a lot of hurt. And God, I know that the desire of your heart is not for us to be hurt. And you may have us in the desert for a reason and for a time, but God, we want to be changed by you. So change us. Remind us how good your love is. We pray these things in Jesus' name.